help you think about the next time. I, I believe there are hindrances, and Scripture even mentions this, and it, it even highlights it'll, it'll, something we're going to deal with for the next couple of weeks. It'll say, you know, if you've come to worship or to give a gift or take communion, and you've got a relational issue with somebody, and it's, and it's a serious thing. It's not that you just disagree, but you've, you've got some woundedness there and some animosity, and it just comes up in you. And you can feel that. You can sense it. You know, there's some anger or bitterness or whatever. Uh, he says, you know what? It's better for you just to stop right there, leave that, go get that right, work through that, and then come back. It's funny, he didn't mention, you know, like, well, if you've stolen something, you probably need to return it. If you cheated on your taxes last year, you need to go call the IRS and then come back. I mean, he could have said a lot of different things, right? But he mentions a relational issue. So I think that's something that um, I want you to keep in mind, because in a few weeks, we're going to do this again, and we will have worked through, uh, hopefully some valuable information from the New Testament in in a specific book called Philemon, uh, which is going to help us to understand how relationships work and how to extend and to receive forgiveness and grace in one another's lives. Uh, I hope it's going to be a powerful and beneficial time uh, for each of us. Now, uh, recently I did a series, and I had planned to do it for a certain number of weeks. And as I began to go forward in that, uh, the Lord just opened up and uncovered uh, some things that I thought, wow, I just really need to, to do that. And, it, and it's uh, a moment where Holy Spirit just seemed to say, hey, you have permission. You know, you can plan all these things and you can do this. And that's your invention. That's not my invention. That's yours. You made that up and now you feel stuck to it. That's kind of my personality a little bit, is that once I've got something, and I love to talk about freedom, and I love to talk about grace, but I think there is a closet, you know, uh, addiction to uh, system or program or, you know, legalism or something. Oh, God, you need to set me free from that. And so we went on. In one of the Sundays that was unplanned, that I wasn't going to do in the, you know, in the beginning, the Lord did some significant things. And, um, and some people were set free from addiction and some other, other just things happened. And it's almost as if the Lord said, see, you need to not get in your flesh, but just really keep your heart open to me because it's very fluid, very flexible. So when I began to put this series together on Philemon, then I thought it's going to naturally break down into two sections. I thought, oh, there's two really good lessons here and we're going to do that. But same thing, folks, this is so me, um, that as I began to look at it and it began to unfold, uh, I thought, wow, there's a practical application part of this that I'm only going to just scratch the surface on if I try to squeeze it in, in in a couple of times together. Plus, if I try to do that, here's what my tendency is, and those of you who are regular tenders at Calvary, you already know this, the message will be longer, and you'll be later getting to lunch, um, you'll get down the street to the restaurant and there's all the Methodists and the Presbyterians and the non-denoms, you know, they're all in there and they're eating and you've got to wait for a table and it's all my fault because I tried to do it in two lessons. So, to get you to lunch on time, I'm going to break this down and kind of develop it more in a couple other uh, times together, okay? So would you pray for me as I do that? And I, I thought about this, like I say, as we're going into communion today because sometimes... 
I do believe, and I just said a moment ago, I absolutely think there needs to be some self-examination. You know, there's this pause, like, Lord, and, but, but here's the thing. Folks, whatever you did yesterday, if you yelled at your kids, if you were mean to your significant other person, if you kicked your dog, whatever it was, you know, and now you're feeling like, I don't know if I can do communion because, I, listen, communion is not based on your behavior. It's based on the grace of the Lord Jesus. This is going to knock you out. You are as clean before him after you kicked the dog than you were before. You are as clean because it's by grace that we've been saved through faith, not of ourselves. So you being good and, and all of that doesn't make you worthy to come and partake of this. You know, in the Old Testament... There was uh, every year, several times, there were these activities that would be a forerunner, a picture, these sacrifices and these things that would be Passover itself, the night that Jesus instituted this, you know, and he said something so significant. And I think we've read it so many times that we just go, you know, kind of right by it. Before Jesus changed everything that day, everything. It was always we come to the Lord with these sacrifices in remembrance of our sins. Get it? Right? We were thinking about, oh, I've sinned and so I need to, I need to offer this. And we're thinking about our sins. This time Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Not you. So when we do this again, don't come in remembrance of yourself. We come in remembrance of Jesus and what he's done for us. So I'm looking forward to how God's going to unfold this and see what he's going to do next with this series we're calling Clean Break. And uh, we're all here together. And this is not a new thing, relationship difficulties. And we'll show you that in just a moment. Uh, But God has done a fresh and beautiful thing in the way he has given us to be able to go forward and to live, not just on a superficial, surfacey kind of way with each other, but in a deeper way, in a deeper way to be at peace, to be in contentment. And I know, uh, the minute I say that, that sometimes there is within us this thought or this feeling like, yeah, but you don't know this guy I'm mad at, he's unreasonable, and even if I do all of this, it's not going to work out. I, I get, I know, I know, I know. And I know there's some unreasonable people, there's just mean people, And it doesn't mean because you do the right thing that everybody else is going to do the right thing. You know what? That part is not what we're talking about, and that doesn't matter. Okay? You're not responsible for that. So don't worry about that side yet. Let's just talk about where we are and what our responsibility is and how God's going to bring healing through that. So here is the big idea for today's message. Even after... We've been wronged. We can show love and forgiveness to others. Trust that. I know you may not be there yet, and you may think, I can read those words, but brother, I'm not, I'm not believing it yet. That's okay. That's all right. Just hang in there. Here's the application we hope that flows from this. When we have conflict, and we will, you're just going to have conflict with other people, we'll show love and forgiveness. We will show love and forgiveness. Not bitterness, 
not revenge, not all the other different directions that that could spin, but that uh, God in us is going to begin to to do something different. So here's this this illustration. It's the shortest book Paul ever wrote. And there's a familiar cast of characters and people that that you would recognize from other books. These kind of um, overlap some of his letters. And you read this person and you think, oh, when he wrote this, he was actually here. And then he sent it to these people and we met them in another book. You know, it's... It's similar to some of the movies that you see with sequels and other parts and spinoff movies. You know, Scripture's a little bit like that sometimes. So in this book, Philemon, we're going to see just this beautiful illustration of what I'm talking about, of how forgiveness works in our lives. Now, because it's such a short book, it really only takes a couple of pages. I'm just going to read the story to you. And then after I read this letter uh, that, that Paul wrote, then we're going to go back and I'll give you a quick commentary, okay? Just a quick, and I won't do that. I've got uh, uh, some folks from Bible Project have put together something just, just so efficient and, be- and just kind of lays it out in such a great way. Uh, we'll, we'll see that together. And then hopefully we'll have a beginning uh, place to study this book, to look at this book together. We'll have a foundation where we all kind of understand that. So let's go. Here we go. I'm going to read um, Philemon. This letter is from Paul, a prisoner for preaching the good news about Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. You know Timothy. I'm writing to Philemon, our beloved co-worker, and to our sister Aphia, and to our fellow soldier Archippus. And what I kind of think is that uh, they were husband and wife and maybe their son in their house. And w- w- one of the reasons I think that, he says, and to the church that meets in your house. Everybody did home churches then. It was just a real common thing. So um, you probably think, then don't interrupt yourself because we don't, we, that's not important. Okay. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because... I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. And I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. That is why... I am boldly asking a favor of you. I could demand it in the name of Christ because it is the right thing for you to do. But because of our love, I prefer simply to ask you. Consider this as a request from me, Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you to show kindness to to my child Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Onesimus hasn't been of much use to you in the past. But now, he is very useful to both of us. I'm sending him back to you. And with him comes my own heart. I wanted to keep him here with me while while I'm here in these chains for preaching the good news. And he would have helped me on your behalf. But... I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you uh, to help because you were willing, not because you were forced. 
It seems you lost Onesimus for a little while so that you could have him back forever. He is no longer like a slave to you. He is more than a slave. For he is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So, if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand, which he didn't typically do. And every now and then, something was so important or urgent to him, he would write it himself. He said, I will repay it. Don't worry about the debt. I'm going to cover that. And I won't mention, (laughs) although he mentions it, um, that you owe me your very soul. But we won't talk about that. Yes, my brother, please do me this favor for the Lord's sake. Give me this encouragement in Christ. I'm confident as I write this letter that you will do what I ask and even more. One more thing. Please prepare a guest room for me. For I'm hoping that God will answer your prayers and let me return to you soon. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. Hey, you know, he's he's there in jail. Hey, tell him I said, hey. Uh, So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Isn't that an affectionate and personal letter? Now, let me give you a little background and kind of help you understand what was going on in the book of Philemon. So let's uh, watch this together. Paul's letter to Philemon. It was written during one of Paul's many imprisonments, and it's actually his shortest letter in the New Testament. But don't let its size trick you. It's actually one of the most explosive things that Paul ever wrote. Here's the backstory that we can piece together from details within the letter. Philemon was a well-to-do Roman citizen from Colossae who likely met Paul during his mission in Ephesus and he became a follower of Jesus. Then later, when Paul's co-worker Epaphras started a Jesus community in Colossae, Philemon became a leader of a church that met in his house. Now, Philemon, like all household patriarchs in the Roman world, owned slaves, one of whom was named Onesimus. And at some point, these two had a serious conflict. Onesimus wronged Philemon in some way. Maybe it was theft, or maybe he cheated him. We don't exactly know. But afterwards, Onesimus ran away. Eventually, Onesimus came to Paul in prison, likely to appeal for help. And in the process, he became a follower of Jesus and then a beloved assistant of Paul. And so Paul finds himself in a very difficult and delicate situation as he writes this letter. He's going to ask Philemon not just to forgive Onesimus and receive him back, but to embrace him as a brother in the Messiah and no longer as a slave. Here's how he does it. Paul opens with a prayer, first praising Philemon and thanking God for the love and faithfulness he's shown to Jesus, to his people. And he then paves the way for his request with this line. I pray that the partnership that springs from your faith may effectively lead you to recognize all the good things that work in us, leading us into the Messiah. Now, a key word here is partnership, or in Greek, koinonia. It means sharing or mutual participation. It's when two or more people receive something together and share in it, becoming partners. Paul's saying that faithfulness to Jesus means recognizing that all of his followers are equal partners who share together in the gift of God's love and grace. 
And for Paul, this experience of koinonia among Jesus' followers, it's not just an idea that you think about, it's something that you do in your relationships, which moves Paul on to his request. He finally brings up Onesimus. He says that he's become Paul's child in prison, meaning that Paul led Onesimus to dedicate his life and allegiance to Jesus. And so Paul and Onesimus are now family members in the Messiah. He's been serving Paul faithfully in prison, and even though Paul wants to keep him around, he knows that this unresolved conflict with Philemon has to be reconciled if they say that they're followers of Jesus, which moves Paul on to his bold request that Philemon receive Onesimus back no longer as a slave, but as more than a slave, as a beloved brother in the Lord. Now, this is a really tall order. Under Roman law, Philemon had every legal right to have Onesimus punished or put in prison. And Paul's not only asking him to forgive Onesimus, but to welcome back his former slave into Colossae as a social equal, as a family member. This is way more than kindness. This is unheard of. It's freeing a slave and then treating them like a family member. It upsets the status quo of the Roman social order. Why should Philemon do such a thing? And here Paul pulls a brilliant move. He recalls that key word from the opening prayer. He says, if you're truly a partner with me, it's that Greek word koinonia again, then welcome Onesimus as if he were me. And if he's wronged you or owes you anything, charge it to me and I will repay it. So in this request, we see the heart of Paul's gospel message being acted out. It's first of all about reconciliation. It's just like he told the Corinthians. In the Messiah, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. So in this situation, Paul is putting himself in the place of Jesus. He will absorb the consequences of Onesimus' wrongdoing. He will pay the cost so that he can be reconciled to Philemon. But Paul's message was about more than just a legal transaction. It's also about koinonia. Onesimus and Philemon and Paul are all equals before God. They all share the same need for forgiveness. And so the ground is level before the cross, which means that Philemon and Onesimus can no longer relate to each other as master and slave. They're family members. They're brothers in the Messiah. Or as Paul told Philemon and the whole church of Colossae, in God's new family, people are not Greek or Jewish or circumcised or uncircumcised or foreigners or uncivilized or slave or free, but the Messiah is all and is in all people. Paul closes the letter stating his confidence that Philemon will do even more than Paul's requested, and he asks him to prepare a guest room because he wants to visit as soon as he gets out of prison, and then with some final greetings, Paul ends the letter. Paul's letter to Philemon is powerful for many reasons. It's the only letter where Paul doesn't explicitly mention Jesus' death or resurrection, and this is not an oversight. He doesn't need to explain the cross with words because he's demonstrating it through his actions. Paul's embodying here the meaning of the cross. He has made himself the place through which Onesimus and Philemon are reconciled to God and then to each other. This letter also shows us that the implications of the good news about Jesus, they are extremely personal and never private. The fact that Philemon and Onesimus are now brothers in the Messiah, it makes their master-slave relationship totally irrelevant. 
The family of Jesus' people is the place where all are equal recipients of God's grace. It's a new kind of society or a new humanity, as he called it in the letter to the Colossians, where people's value and social status, it's not defined by race or gender or social or economic class. In the Messiah, there are simply new humans who are equal partners, who share together in God's healing mercy through Jesus. And that's what Paul's letter to Philemon is all about. Onesimus was a servant. Paul's or, letter to Philemon. It was written I, during I think just the once is good, thanks. Um, he was a, this, uh, a servant of, of Philemon. We, we don't know uh, the whole story. There's obviously some things that aren't explained there. We do know that he ran away because he had wronged Philemon in some way. Some people speculate that he stole from him. Uh, it could be a lot of different things. We, we have absolutely no idea. But it was something like that where he was really offended uh, in, in verse 18 and 19. So Paul is writing to Philemon and he's sending Onesimus back. And this is a really risky thing. I mean, he, had, he is under absolutely no obligation to do this. And it's pretty uncommon. I mean, it's, it's, it's unheard of. You know, it's like, oh, you ran away. We've been trying to find you. And you just walked back. We got you now. You know, I mean, it would, that would just be the typical thing. And he had absolutely every right uh, to do that. And nobody could point a finger or say anything. I mean, it was justice. And sometimes we want justice, right? I mean, that we think we do. So Paul doesn't say... Uh, that Philemon had mistreated Onesimus in any way. But he does say, you are a faithful follower of Jesus. And he's already shown that. This was a good guy. Uh, Paul appeals to this faithful love of Philemon. And he says, I want you to extend that. We're going to test the boundaries of it now. Because I want you to extend that uh, even to uh, Onesimus. So uh, that's, that's going to be quite an extension there to try to do that. So let me ask you something. Have you ever had or are you currently in conflict with another person? Not just a disagreement, okay? Not just you pull for this team, you pull for that team, or uh, I think the Lord's going to come back like this and you think he's going to come back like that, or you're, you know, a different whatever, you know. Uh, it's not about that, but it's a conflict, where there's been something hurtful that's happened, maybe words were exchanged, now there's an alienation, and, um, you know, you're plotting ways to perhaps, you know, burn their house down or, you know, whatever, uh, you know, maybe something a little less drastic, but, you know, you, you, you de- absolutely don't have good... Is there anybody like that? That something happened and it tore apart the relationship. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a moment and... If you feel safe enough, you've got like a quiet way to do this. I want you to write that person's name or maybe they're just their initials. Or if you think, no, because the person next to me is going to look over and it's them and they're going to go, oh, my goodness, that's me. You know, uh, so so just think of it. All right. I'll give you just a second. Think picture that person. Think of that person. If you're in conflict with somebody uh, right now. And don't, wives, don't nudge your husband and go, it's you, big boy, you know, right now. Don't do that. But just think of that person. You got it? You got somebody in mind? Some of you think, give me a minute, because there's actually more than one. There's, I've got several, and it's just going to take me a little while. Can I get another one of those uh, handouts? Because, okay, if you need some more space, that's all right. All right. Um, like I said, 
Philemon was a good guy. And Paul talks about, I'm just so pleased with you. There's so many things about you that I love. And it looks like Philemon had volunteered at church. Uh, he was very gracious. He was loving in the community. He had a great reputation to the people around him. And Paul doesn't say anything negative about him. He goes, look, I, I get it. I know you're a good guy. Words like servant and slave especially can be really difficult for my ears. And I think in a contemporary setting, uh, we kind of immediately, we think of slavery here in America. We think of this dark stain in our history and how harsh, how racially based that was. It was in August of 1619 that the first ship with 20 and odd, it said 20 and, 20 and something enslaved Africans arrived on the shores of Virginia. And 400 years you know, later, we look back at that event and that moment as they were you know, marched down that, that gangway, that plank, you know, off the ship and onto land as the start of, of this, this, uh, this relationship, this experience. And, and, and there's this correlation between the actual founding of the United States and this unconscionable, this, this exploitation of an enslaved people that became millions of people from that early beginning. We, that's what I think about when I even hear the word. And that's, that's, that's kind of our history. There was that type of harsh slavery in the Roman Empire. That kind of thing did happen, but it wasn't as common or it's not what uh, the, the idea, the image that most people would have thought of when they thought about servants or they thought about slaves. Some slaves were indentured servants. They actually put themselves in that situation because of debt. But they would work in the homes of these Roman citizens. Some were sold into slavery. Uh, some, like I said, sold themselves in because they either had a debt to work off and they couldn't uh, afford it. My ancestors, I, uh, my people come from Ireland, and there were over 400,000 Irish people here in the U.S. working as indentured servants, which was basically slavery in the early unfolding part of our country when those immigrants came. So it, it touches a lot of different pockets in, in society. So these folks would do that, or maybe they just wanted, they saw it as a shortcut. They thought, wow, I would like to be in contact with and accessible to this upper class group of people. Uh, but because I'm like in this place, I'm never going to be connected to them. So what some of them do, and we have documents that say what they did is they sold themselves into slavery so they would get into that circle and get to know those people. And then when their slavery was done, they would have friendships and relationships built. So that was kind of a, kind of a crafty way uh, to do that. Um, and they would just work, you know, it'd be a temporary kind of a thing to, to do that. A large percentage of the population, you can look back in Romans 9, were actually in, were slaves. It was, it was a very uh, normal, they were the slaves or, or former slaves. So the, the question came to my mind, why does Paul never address this? He's Paul. He is the most influential voice in the New Testament and during this time. So why didn't he renounce slavery? It looks like it would be a perfect uh, opportunity. There's a couple of reasons. I think, first of all, and I'm being a little bit redundant, slavery 
in the Roman Empire was very different from the kind that we're familiar with. Okay, it 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 was not race based. Um, it was seldom uh, lifelong. Most people were set free by the time you were thirty or forty. You weren't a slave anymore. Most slaves were, were younger like that. They were taken captive after wars. Uh, they would gather up all the people. This actually happened to the Jewish people, if you remember. And Jesus had predicted this. Um, and this astounding. This one prophecy by Jesus just blows away every prophecy to me. It's when he predicted the destruction of the temple. Because it was destruction proof. I mean, it couldn't happen. And he said, you know, all these people are going to be killed uh, in the city after the siege. Or then a large group of them were taken captive. They became slaves. So that sort of thing uh, kind of happened. So I think that was one of the reasons Paul didn't address this is because it was, such, it was so woven into the fabric uh, of, of, of their society. Uh, and it doesn't make it right, but that's, I think that. I think the other thing, uh, another reason was that Paul's calling was not to change society by changing the framework, the rules and, you know, the law. That, that wasn't his calling uh, to, to work like that and to see that happen. Paul's idea was to see people transformed from the inside out and that that would change society, and it did. It absolutely revolutionized the world without exaggerating. No kidding, it, it, it changed the whole world in a relatively very short amount of time. When you go back and look at history, and you see that this, this movement began with just a handful of followers. And it just, almost, it just seems like overnight they were turning the world upside down, and it just became uh, this incredible thing. So Paul was more concerned about seeing people set free of sin and of guilt. And this is what he says in Romans 6. He said, you know... Uh, I'm, I'm more concerned about that than I am physical emancipation from whatever situation you're in. Here's what he said in Romans uh, chapter 6, verse 6. He said, We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. And look at this reference. He said, We are no longer slaves to sin. That's the emancipation that Paul was concerned about. He said, If you get set free from sin... Whoa, that's, that's so much bigger. So that's where he spent his energy. Now, some of these servants, these, they, were, they were paid a daily wage. They had families. Uh, in a lot of places, they would be treated like employees. They, they, they weren't mistreated so much. So what if you put it in this context, because this may help us understand a little bit. Um, if Onesimus was like Philemon's uh, employee, and an employee that he, he messed up, he made a huge mistake, and then he burns his bridges, he, you know, he leaves town, he packs up, he goes, ruins his own reputation, he hurts the company, um, you know, he quits, he gets fired. Maybe this employee, while he's out there, he finds Jesus. You know, he's, he's restored, and his whole life has changed. And some of you understand because that's happened to you, right? You would think and say, I'm not even the same person that I used to be. I, th- that looks like a total stranger to me when I look back in my history. And that employer, uh, empl- you know, the employer's a Christian, and now you're a Christian, 
And your you know, former boss volunteered at church. They led a community group. They taught a Bible class. They, they, they gave of their income and their time. They were just very generous. You know, and the entire community knows that person to be. You know, he's this upstanding Christian businessman. And he's like the, the, the real deal. Now, that truth would change the way you handle this conflict. Because now... You see, there's a new context. Oh, now you're a follower of Jesus, and I'm a follower of Jesus. So that changes the dynamics of our relationship. When I was in high school, I wasn't mean, but I was uh, rebellious. I, I was defiant in some ways, and I would get in trouble from time to time. And there are a couple of teachers' lives who, in particular, that I, I probably made pretty miserable. All of you who are teachers and you think, you're that kid. I know you. You know, you're that kid in my class, and I can't wait for you to move on. Well, I did graduate and, uh, and, and moved on, and a couple of years later, began to walk with Jesus. And he just absolutely changed me. And um, I went through this time, and I knew there was some wreckage in my past. You know, there were some broken relationships and damage I had done. And I thought about these teachers. So a couple of years after high school, I go back to my high school and I visit with three teachers. One who was a Christian who had tried to talk to me about the Lord. Uh, he was a coach in my high school. So I went to see him and say, guess what? I'm in. I'm in, you know, and he hugged me. It was just, oh, it was so sweet. Coach Inman, I still remember. The other two teachers I went to. Uh, were not Christian, but I thought they would understand. I, you know, because when you're doing the right thing, you think everybody else is going to just go, oh, okay. So one teacher did forgive me and received me and said, okay, you know, it took a lot of courage for you to come back. You didn't have to do this. That's all over and done. And um, But thank you. Wow, I really appreciate that. The other teacher, <laughs> not so much. Um just began to lecture me as if I were still in her class. She was still mad. I thought, two years later, you're still mad at me about this. I didn't do that much. Uh, so, but that's a whole other thing. But one, so one received me and forgave me and the other didn't. You've had things like that happen, right? So you understand that context, whether it was with your parents or your spouse or a friend or maybe somebody on, you're on a team with. Paul mentions... That Onesimus, he says this in verse 10. He said, he became my son. He's like a son to me now. When I was in chains, uh, he's real. He, this, he's not going through something. He's, this is real. So he brings Onesimus to this saving relationship with Christ. And he's gone through a change of heart and soul that has so impacted this. And I think, you know, when I read this, it looks like he's almost passive. But I think, no, wait a minute. He had, it wasn't just, you know, between Paul and Philemon, like they're working out this deal and Onesimus is kind of standing to see how this is going to play out. He had to make a decision. You know, Paul said, here, I want you to go back home and tell this guy you're sorry and ask his forgiveness. I'm not going back there. <laughs> I don't know. He'll throw me in prison. He'll have me beaten. He'll take, who knows what he'll do to me. I just, but he did. He willingly did this. I don't think Paul forced him to or anything like that. So he had to make a decision uh, to, to do this. Hey, Jesus changed Paul's life, Philemon's life, Onesimus' life. 
when sin entered the world, it didn't just impact humanity's relationship to God in some big abstract way. But here's what happened. Human relationships were damaged and corrupted from that moment forward. For instance, marriages. Marriages were corrupted. In Genesis 3.16, it says this. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you'll give birth. And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And there's this contention. And I know you don't know anything about that, right? You think, oh, that's, that's never happened in our relationship. It happened between siblings. There was this disruption uh, in their relationships. In Genesis 4, 8, it says, One day, Cain suggested to his brother, Let's go out in the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. I would say they were having a relational problem and difficulty there. And that was a pretty drastic way to deal with it. Not only that, but I think just in human civilization as a whole. Have you read the paper? I sat down yesterday in my kitchen with a cup of coffee and I was reading uh, the local paper, the New Sentinel, and I was reading the Wall Street Journal. And just every page is conflict, conflict. Con- nations against nations and, and everybody trying to get in this position and that. I mean, we've known that forever. I mean, isn't that true? You go back and you read, even during this time, there were wars going on and there were the Romans and there were, I mean, it was just, just this constant turmoil. Genesis 6, 5 says this, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness in the earth and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently totally evil. It's just that way. And we see that and we can't imagine. How does a terrorist do this? How does a nation even conceive of this plot or this plan and can do some of the things we have seen in history? And you look at the world wars and the atrocities and you think, how can human beings do this to each other? Because of sin. And Christ did not die only to bring reconciliation in our relationship with God, which he did, absolutely. Here's the thing. He died so that we could have reconciliation in our relationships with each other. Ephesians 4.32 says this. Instead, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Now, does that sound like your family, (laughs) your neighborhood, your workplace, your classroom? Probably not as much. So the question, is forgiveness possible? I don't know what's happened to you. I don't know what you've done. But I know we're capable of some pretty incredible things. And some of you have been hurt very badly. And I don't minimize that. And I don't discount that in any way. But I know that's a question in your mind. Dan, I don't know if I can ever forgive her for that. I don't know if I can ever ask for forgiveness from him for this. Philemon had a choice. He could have soaked himself and just wallowed in grief and offense and anger. And just let that take root and grow up and make him a bitter person for what Onesimus had done. And every time his name came up, he, you know, he would go into his rant, 
right? Because you've heard your dad go into his rant. <laughs> you've heard, you've heard, you know, your husband go, well, I tell you what, if I ever see him again, if I, he were here right now, I, here's what, you know, and it's just like it happened yesterday. It just comes up. Maybe it's you, you know, you, you think, oh man, every time I think about them, that must have been kind of how, so he's saying, I want you to abandon that because you've got another choice. Now you're free to welcome him as a fellow brother in Christ. Ah, and you can show him love. All right. Go back to the name that you wrote down. Maybe that person wasn't a believer, now they are. Maybe they're not. Maybe they were a Christian. And you can say, Dan, you don't understand. They were a Christian. They knew what they were doing. They should have done better, but they didn't. I understand. You might even see this person walking out of the building today. <laughs> you think, actually, yeah, they're in this room. You maybe are the victim, like Philemon, of somebody else's wrongdoing. And you were totally innocent. Folks, just like Jesus didn't hold our debts against us, Matthew 6.12 says we're to forgive our debtors. He said he forgave you. And this is a filter that is changing the way I see relationships. I've kind of dropped myself into that slot between the Lord and me and you know, our relationship. And I see all the things that he could have said. I am so sorry. You've crossed a line. <laughs> you know, you were, you were kind of in boundaries. You were doing a lot of things. But now, I'm like, you, you, you did it. I can't, I'm sorry. Your ticket is invalid. You've reached the forgiveness limit. You know, you're done. But he didn't do that. He didn't do that. So whenever we go to engage somebody else, you know, and we think, ah, boy, I would forgive them, but think through what did Jesus do and how did he forgive me? That's what Matthew six twelve says. And just like Paul appeals to the love that Philemon knows, he had experienced himself. Maybe Holy Spirit is pleading with you right now to show love and forgiveness to that name that you wrote down a few moments ago or that you imprinted uh, in your mind. I know it's hard. And I want you to be honest in this. I want you to be genuine. I don't want you to say words that you don't mean or that you would take back the minute we walk out. Some of you would have to say, Dan, if I'm sincere, I got to tell you, I'm not there yet. I hear you and I understand, just not there yet. Mentally, emotionally, physically, I'm just not there. Okay. Over the next few weeks, we're going to take a deeper look at what being offended how destructive that is. But how powerful and for, amazing forgiveness is. And what that looks like. We're going to think through our relationships from God's perspective. And how we can finally... You can be healed of old wounds that you thought was just part of who you are now or fresh wounds (laughs) 
And how we can receive and grant forgiveness and see reconciliation begin. It may not start today. I hope so. I hope you're ready. But if not, would you just open your heart? If honestly all you could pray was the Lord, you know that name. And you know, this is I'm struggling. I'm struggling. But would you help me, Lord? You'll open my heart and you do in me what I can't do. I'm at least open. Show me what you got. If that's as far as you can go, at least you've taken one step in this direction of healing. So let's do this. We're going to do this song together. And then I'm going to ask you just to begin something that may be extraordinary and it may be difficult for you to do. First time I did this it was so fake I just said the words so that I wouldn't feel guilty, you know, so that I could say that I did it. I didn't mean it. But as I continued something happened. The grace of the Lord began to overwhelm me and my emotions started catching up with my prayers until one day I found that I was praying very sincerely and in a genuine way. That's what Jesus does in us. So as we begin this adventure together, let's start by as sincerely as you can praying for the person or the persons that you're in conflict with. And just pray for them. Just pray for them. Let's stand and let's do that together now.